what's up and welcome to your first nostalgia 2021 episode uh this is pat sheen with my co-host dave martin swagger dave what are we bringing the people for content in the year 2021 more of the same but better <laughs> but better uh yeah, we, we have a lot to talk about today, actually, which is a pretty mm-hmm. nice first episode. With the winter break, we were able to catch up on a lot of movies and TV shows. So we had a Playboy Cardi album drop on Christmas Day. We had a Netflix or no, sorry, a Hulu show mm-hmm. uh, drop, um, or I guess not drop, but finish right. up. And then we had mm-hmm. a bunch of movies drop and I was able to catch up on one movie that we didn't get to talk about when it first came out. So a lot of exciting stuff going on. But I wanted to check in. How, how was your New Year's and uh, Christmas break? It's quiet, as I feel like all responsible people would answer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yep. still Low-key. still wel- welcome to, to chill, mm-hmm. watch movies, as I've really occupied many of my past winter breaks where I just really grind that tape and try and hit some stuff from the year that I had missed. And... On top of that, we actually got like brand new marquee releases yep. uh, to add right to the queue. And obviously Wonder Woman and Soul would be those movies. But also, we also got George Clooney's first movie in a leading role in a very long time. That's also notable, you know? So it, it was it was a good movie uh, Christmas. For sure. Uh, a lot of interesting things to be talking about. I also had a low-key holiday which allowed me to not only catch up on new things but i've been watching a bunch of older classic films too actually just watched north by northwest again the other day oh nice yeah, uh, that, that, that was a great watch hbo um, max the gift that keeps on giving yeah i've been i've been crushing the turner classic movie uh section of hbo max and if you don't have hbo max you should get it not only for wonder woman 1984 which we're going to be talking about but for all the other stuff really um dave you know out of all the good things that happened though during this holiday season, we got some really sad news right before 2020 ended. Uh, which you know, 2020, one of the shittiest years, if not the shittiest year of pretty much everybody's life. But then we hear that Daniel Dumile, better known as MF Doom, passed away on Halloween, all the way back two months prior. And that this was announced by his wife on Instagram and confirmed by his his agent. And I was in total shock. And what was your response to it? Yeah, I mean, it's actually quite like Doom to not learn about his death for two and a half months or whatever it was. You know, that's actually quite on brand, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, honestly, terrible loss goes without saying. Um, unexpected. I don't believe we know the cause of death that wasn't said in the initial post. Um, and it, it also often, you know, it feels, I think, tough when you think about like reclusive people like mf doom where someone who was an artist and a piece of culture on his own terms and you know did did it how exactly he wanted to like like if if like lauren hill randomly passed i feel like people would feel the same way you know it's like these enigmatic people and how they've always left you wondering but despite all that obviously mf doom leaves behind a incredible catalog capped off by mad villainy um mm-hmm. you know think about mad lib who's been working with freddie gibbs of late but um in terms of producer rapper uh duos you know one two punches for a whole album uh really nothing compares to that album 
So we'll yeah. still have that. But yeah, quite the quite the surprise to just randomly get right before New Year's. Totally. And, you know, I was thinking back to the times we've been able to talk about Doom on this show. And, you know, obviously, I think the only one that one time we really got to go in depth was Star Face Beats Metal Face back in 2018. And yes. just how much we both really enjoyed that album and how we feel like it really got to showcase both of their talents really well. You know, obviously it wasn't, I think either of their like best work, but still just like even the stuff that was like mediocre was top notch for these, these guys and doom just, man, it's funny. Cause I thought about him the other day. I think it like just came across my, my Spotify when I was on shuffle, one of his songs. And I was like, huh, oh, we haven't heard from him in a while, but you know, kind of just pops up whenever he's doing something and just sad that we're not going to get another project from him. Um, yeah, just a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of very bad things in 2020. So, uh, though it's just an arbitrary number, moving on to this new year feels hopefully like a fresh start. Um, and but a really sad way to end it. Any last thoughts on Doom before we kind of move on? Just listen to the music, man. It's still there. Yeah. I know. Um, unfortunately, uh, Flying Lotus was Twitch streaming like Doom's lots of dooms music for like a long like you know celebratory tribute stream and that shit gets taken down by twitch to copyright it's like this definitely i think sh- showed in a light once again on some of the anti- antiquated ways people deal with art and uh when they can't monetize it every single second of its existence and kind of sucks that that comes up on a tribute stream you know yeah following the uh like billboard 100 uh twitter page i saw that some of uh, doom's mad villainy i think came back into like the billboard top 100 albums or something like that so cool that people were sense, yeah. going back to it um but why don't we talk about an album that was actually at the top of the billboard 100 which was playboy cardi's whole lot of red uh dropped on christmas day um which is a uh it makes sense uh christmas very much associated with red <laughs> and th- this is something that we a lot of known it. was coming for about a month. I think it was like November 23rd, something like that. There was like things on, he, he made an announcement about, you know, upcoming music being released, things like that, but still a bit of a, a surprise release, if you will. And um, yeah, it, I, I guess like maybe before we jump into this album, where are you at with, playboy cardi is an artist just in general are you you a fan dave well that's the thing it's a whole lot of red like it seemed to be there was real smoke with its imminent release as you said the past month or so but it's an album whose that's release had had many false starts and like had trended multiple times because people thought it was dropping and it didn't drop and uh cardi leaks and snippets were like uzis but to an even greater degree where there was just so much hype and expectation and appetite and demand for them and all this excitement about playboy cardi i think that's specifically since his 2018 album die lit where cardi as an artist evolved his sound and really went hard on that quote baby voice you know and like making some some weird shit not all of it hits but sometimes it does hit and it sounds unlike most other stuff and he definitely found an audience with that stuff and um you know when i think back on die lit i uh 
again, I like some of it, not all of it, but some of those moments I think are really good, like Shooter with Uzi and uh, Lean For Real with a great Skepta feature and R.I.P. with that really memorable beat. Um, but honestly, I have I wasn't like super hyped on this because like, like uh, that loose single he officially put out last year at me, at me, uh, that shit sucked. And like that really like hyped up song, Pissy Pamper, that was illegally uploaded to Spotify and went to the top of the viral 50 chart, even though it was not official upload and eventually got deleted. Like I hear that song and I'm like, yeah, I don't like this either. I'm like, I think he was taking it too far for me. Cause I actually kind of liked him back in the beginning when it was just kind of like cloudy trap, nothing too crazy. You know, like songs like Fetty and broke boy and lost. I'm like, I like this shit. This is good. Yep. Now it's like, it's completely unrecognizable. And then you listen to a whole lot of red and you can tell Cardi's just completely off the deep end. So um, he's definitely decreased in estimation for me, but what about you? You're not, you weren't the biggest Cardi fan in, in the first place. Yeah, no, you know, this is actually something you say a lot about, like uh, some of the rock artists that I like. I'm trying to think of who specifically, but um, I just don't really jive with his voice. I just don't really find him like pleasurable <laughs> to listen to. And then you kind of take this album, Whole Lot of Red, and I'm like, it the, It felt very samey to me. Um, you know, if there was one thing that kind of stood out, it's like there's this like gothic feel to the whole thing that just... Yeah was very inaccessible to me He's a vampire um, now yeah and and then you kind of bring that with some of the like lamest lyrics i think i've ever heard and i'm just oh, yeah. was really unimpressed with this um yeah I, I can i could tell that when we were kind of texting about it off air that you obviously weren't really a fan of it either what what do you feel like made you not like it that well much? that's the thing it's like even if he's gonna completely commit to this baby voice stuff the bars, the song construction still come across as really low effort and lazy, uh -huh. which also kind of fits with his reputation. Like in 2018, I had tickets to see him and I actually just kind of sold, I, I actually sold them because I was like unimpressed from like what I had seen from that tour on social media. I was like, I don't need to fucking, I, I know what this is going to be like. And I didn't go. And then you think of like these songs, listen to these songs, listen to these bars. Like I think of a song like, uh, metamorphosis the one with cuddy oh. where his hook is just metamorphosis metamorphosis over and over again and it's like i don't know who that's for like even the people right. that really like this shit still as just you know not not too deep just kind of fun a little different i don't think that's good enough for that person either like and it, it just it, it still feels really low rent to me and that that sucks because when it was, you know, back in the day, like think of like his first album with Magnolia, like that was like a really well constructed song. In, in New York, I'm really rock is a great line, and like he doesn't have great lines anymore. There's just it, it just feels like he's just the vibe, and all he knows how to be is the vibe. And there's no like I'm actually still a rapper, and like I know like listen to like Slayer, which I think is the biggest song off this album to this point. Uh, I'm a rock star. I could have joined Slayer. And like that's been the whole thing for a lot of these people that came up in SoundCloud is that they're rock stars. They're not rappers. And it's like, yeah. but Cardiac, I, I don't I don't know what that means because rock stars gave a fuck about <laughs> rock and roll, you know? Like, I don't, I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. You know, 
just even from the second song, I know that this is necessarily Cardi, but this is the, the, the turnout we get from Kanye in his verse is yeah. this is maybe one of the worst Kanye features we've had. And there's been a lot of them over the last couple yeah. of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just a line that really stood out to me. You always ask him for Buddha. You a Buddha pest. Hey, um, just a, a line that I, I had to like literally pause the song and go back and make sure I heard it correctly. Cause this is so bad. Um, I actually don't even mind that, but that's just because of the low, low bar. Most right. of a lot of red <laughs> is that. Yeah. Uh, another, um, another song that I found the lyrics just to be really tough was uh, on punk monk where mm. the end of the song just kept saying one thing I hate the most is friendly ass people. Uh, okay. It's <laughs> just, <laughs> Just doesn't like him. <laughs> not, no, not, that's not a actually, fan. That's funny to me. Punk Monk might be my favorite song or <laughs> song I dislike the least off a whole lot of red. And that's because he's like in in the way he can, Cardi is explaining a lot of his story and he in the process he's name dropping a lot of other rappers. Right. And like explaining his relationships to them. And I actually thought that was kind of cool to hear. Like I I think Punk Monk, like lyrically, again grain of salt but like lyrically it actually was attempting to achieve something besides just being nonsense like some of these other songs like it's an hour-long album but it's 24 tracks and like a lot of shit like again it's like not much of a hook maybe it's repeating a few words or like it's like barely a verse and it's all hook like a lot of these songs are just very half-baked and kind of reminds me of criticisms of xxx tentacion the same thing where it's like Mm -hmm you might have these amazing ideas in your head about sonically and what you're trying to achieve. And like, you have the aesthetics to match it, but like this music, it's just not meeting that at this time. And this just kind of feels like him devolving because dialects an album that was really heralded. And I'm not as high on as other people, but like some people like really ride for and think it's like a landmark album for what it does. Mm -hmm. And I think this, it just makes it feel like a huge fluke at this point. Right. And uh, just to kind of circle back and close the door on Punk Monk, I understand what he like, what the point of him saying that at the end is, but I feel like there's just a better way to package it that doesn't sound so corny or sure. maybe just not to like repeat it over and over. And I think that's the thing is this album just felt very repetitive. You know, it has that like, I, I don't know if it's like a synth or, or what that noise was that kind of mm-hmm. was just kind of like driven throughout every single song, but it was, it sounded almost like every song was trying to follow the same exact vibe and uh, you know sonic pattern and i just felt so bored listening to this i was just like ah this is such a poor showing a slog yeah, of an album really definitely i think the only time the production really stood out to me was on vamp anthem where like i was like okay vamp yeah they're like this is some castlevania shit the way it sounds not that cardi does a lot to add to that but i was like okay that beat actually like i kind of get the halloween vibe we got going on here yeah you know it's going back to what you were saying though it's kind of crazy that you know, for a person who is so mysterious and, you know, definitely adds to, I think, the, the demand and, the, and his allure, uh, he can put out something that uh, to me feels very unmemorable and really not super interesting, even though, you know, he hadn't he had some sort of theme he was trying to go off of. And it still goes to number one on the Billboard, you know, top mm-hmm. 100. And it he sold right. the equivalent of 100,000 units in the first week. It's it's crazy. The the star power he has just in of himself yeah so now the question is what does the next album do because you it makes sense that this album was streamed like a fuck ton especially right. in a relatively low 
streaming week that is the Christmas week. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense people are checking this out. Will they check out the next one? You know, <sighs> how big is his core yeah. audience actually? We don't know. We'll see. Did he lose a lot of people with this? He certainly lost casual people, I would say. But do are like are enough of his hardcore fans satisfied with this? Is this what they wanted? Will they still be there for him for his next album? Um, yeah, I, I do think Cardi might be one of the people that would be benefited by not waiting a super long time before dropping again. Yeah, just you know, letting it die out. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of factors that can go into that, obviously. But I, I am I am interested to see how this album is kind of like lives on in like the the moderate cardi fans not like the hardcore ones who are going to stand for anything but the ones who really thought the early music was good and if this can be palatable to them as well so why don't we move on though to a hulu show we talked about the first three episodes that were dropped back in november a teacher the hannah fidel tv series uh you know also did a uh, short movie which you can find on hulu if you want to a dance movie this wrapped up a 10 episode run um and i i found myself incredibly disappointed um especially from where the show started and i think the the content already is is a hard one to sit with because you're talking about a, a as the they kind of very clearly lay out with the uh the friend teacher who uh kate mara shares mm. what's going on that's a huge abuse of power and that you're really dealing with like a a huge uh, uh unacceptable dynamic between these two in, in terms of their sexual relationship and um that already was like kind of not my favorite thing to watch and then you kind of take the last like three episodes of this series which felt so just like shoehorned in and just kind of like they felt like they had to put it in there just so that they didn't get too much criticism for the series and it just felt like a total misfire in a lot of ways for me how are you feeling as you finished up a teacher yeah i mean i was already lukewarm coming in after we saw those first three episodes um you know fx on hulu then get the subsequent weekly drops and i was skeptical of this premise being uh, deep enough to warrant 10 episodes and I will give them credit for doing short episodes everyone yes. is sub 30 minutes like substantially under 30 minutes mm-hmm. uh, the 30 minute drama is certainly rare and I think it's actually done well so it's not actually that much runtime despite being 10 episodes yet it still felt stretched thin through the mm-hmm. first two thirds of it and then somehow felt really rushed at the end and I, that pacing problem, I think, really harms the show from trying to achieve like moments like had some high moments that you think if they were reworked, this show could have landed way stronger, mm-hmm. but it just never really gets there. And that's equally disappointing because of how difficult the subject matter is to sit with and process, as you said. Yeah, I, th- I think where maybe the show, going back to those pacing problems you talked about, kind of went off the rails for me or was moving in the wrong direction for me is the interesting thing is the fallout to me, you know, the, how they rationalize this to the people in their lives afterwards, how they, how, you know, Eric especially kind of deals with this trauma of being a victim of this, you know, inappropriate relationship and and this not, you know, I guess you can say uh, non-consensual 
um, relationships since he's not 18 when it begins. Right. And the fact that we really only get three episodes of uh, kind of seeing where Eric's at with that. And a good majority of one of those episodes is focused on how Claire is dealing with that fallout, which I'm not very sympathetic to her at all. It just kind of, to me felt like they spent more time fetishizing this, you know, uh, female teacher with a young male student relationship and like, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. emphasizing that rather than looking at the, the point of the thing, which should be to show how this actually is very damaging thing to this young person. Yeah. And I think that the strongest step is in the beginning because it's revealed like to the world, you know, when, when she mm-hmm. Claire spills the beans, that's in episode five. So, Oh, in theory, we got half the season to deal with this, but like, you know, going up to episode five, I actually think they build up that relationship pretty well. Again, it, it's a little stretched out for me, but mm-hmm. I at least, un- I guess I understood this attraction, this connection they had to the point where when K Mara's spilling the beans while kind of tipsy to her coworker, you're like subconsciously being like, Oh, don't do that. You know, it's like, that's going to be bad for you. Even though that's like a fucked up thing to, to think about. Right. It's like, why would I root against her getting away with this? Right. Yeah. But then at that point, we don't get the other side for Nick Robinson's character enough. Like, I'm just told he had a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. I don't really hear that enough. Like, I don't like see that pan out, you know, like he just struggled. Yeah. Like, so I'm told like that. That's all I got out of it from him. Yeah. You know, you really only get to see him in college putting his well-being at risk a lot and not seeming to really give a shit about himself um which like none of that was that special to me oh he's a young college kid being reckless right that's that's new and noteworthy to me like it wasn't enough yeah no and i i mean i think they did try to like show how he had like very little regard for himself at that point as he was doing things like hanging on to the top of a car that was going like i don't know 70 miles per hour and getting thrown off it but you know the the thing is by the time we get to him in the last episode he basically has to spell out to Claire, oh, this really affected me. And it's almost kind of like the whole part of him like actually confronting how this thing affected him and the pain that he was feeling as a result of this, you know, being a victim of this relationship and him like working through that and starting to move on with his life or starting to process that is all just kind of yada, 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 and then told to us and then the show's over. And literally, I when we were reviewing this, I, I thought it was eleven episodes because that tenth episode ends so abruptly with him just leaving that restaurant that I felt it was totally rushed and very poorly done. Um, you know, I and the thing is, I felt like Kate Mara and Nick Robinson gave pretty good performances. It wasn't, I don't think, anything to them not doing the roles well. I think it was more so the script and, like you said, the pacing was just totally off throughout. So. Yeah huge disappointment for me um not really content i would want to engage with all the time anyway especially with the subject matter but real real miss so i don't know not not a good time for that show but any last thoughts before we move on to some better stuff maybe do not make it an anthology series please oh god <laughs> i hope not uh why don't we move on to something that is I don't know. I'd like to be uh, have a follow up to it, which is Tenet, Christopher Nolan's Ooh. most recent movie. And 
maybe we'll talk, come back to that thought at the end, but I got around to this, Dave, over the winter break. This was on my list and I got a sound bar for Christmas. So I especially was like, all right, Dave said, got to have the best sound possible going into this. Got to really lock in. And I did twice made sure I I got two viewings in on my rental and I I was totally blown away. Um, You know, you think about Christopher Nolan movies and I'm, I think you know this, I know that you're a big Christopher Nolan fan, but I'm a huge Christopher Nolan guy. Pretty much love every, every movie he's made. I I can't really think of one that I don't really like. Have you seen his two of his early ones, Insomnia and Following? I actually still have not seen those. I think I, I think I've seen Insomnia. I, I believe that's with Christian Bale, right? Uh, I don't even know. Maybe I don't not. Even know. I, no. I know th- those are like his so those probably two, two of his least liked ones, alongside like Dark Knight Rises, I guess. But um, I guess for everything that from those on, I've really enjoyed. Um, and this movie going into it, I, I heard the mixed reception. A lot of people were saying this is really good, Nolan. Um, not great, Nolan. A lot of people saying this is just too confusing, too out there. Right. Some people saying this is almost too meta in a too way. much Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was, I was intrigued to see what we got. And I think what I liked most about this movie is especially in a year when we haven't really gotten a ton of movies like this to just vibe with. Um, I was just totally taken by uh, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson just being super charming the whole time. We're going on this like espionage thriller the whole time with amazing set pieces. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily find the concept like uh, totally off putting. Like I, I thought it was, it was the more you think about it and the more you try to really get into the finer details of things, you're like, ah, does that really make sense? Why wasn't, why didn't he have to wear a mask to breathe oxygen then? But he did then like, that's the sort of thing where you can start to get lost in the sauce. But if you just take it for what it is, I think it's mm-hmm. a, super enjoyable movie and that's really where i was left with it yeah yeah i agree i mean i i haven't revisited yet i I would like to it's been a few months i was lucky to see enough lucky enough to see in the theater so it's been a little bit for me but what yeah what what struck me i think is that it's definitely a lot of Nolan. i think that is right it's like very meta and like the sound comment like there are moments where this movie is like hard to hear uh-huh. which harkens back to like uh bane right tom hardy wearing a mask in dunker you know it's like that's almost like nolan being like oh you thought that was hard to hear fuck <laughs> off then you know and even yeah. though it kind of makes sense to like it's an unintelligible like when i was in the theater i was like do i have an ear infection like am i am i congested right now is it is it me yeah. and then like weeks later i'm like oh it wasn't me nice <laughs> you know <laughs> um yeah but even even with that like um you know, especially since the fallout of the movie where Tenet uh, did not make enough money to turn a profit. And, you know, it, um, in a sense, it failed at the box office, despite, you know, making, I think, $350 million, whatever it ended up being. I, I'm just worried that this might spell the end for Nolan getting big budgets because Nolan was one of the last people out there that could get big budgets for original shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Because Nolan himself is an IP, is a brand. He's like Tarantino. Like people go to see him. They don't care what he's doing. They just want to see his shit because of the track record he has. I hope that's not gone due to, you know, his assumingly 
burned bridges with Warner Brothers after the HBO Max stuff. So I, I would hate to see this be the last blockbuster he made. But it's kind of cool to like think about his run because this is his James Bond movie. This is Nolan right. does James Bond, right? And like you have Interstellar, Nolan does Space, Dunkirk, mm-hmm. Nolan does War. Like you, you have all these things he's done. Um, and I, I hope we hope we continue to get more of that because again, even if I don't think this is top tier Nolan. But that also would say a lot if it was, you know, he has a lot of made a lot of great movies and a lot of good movies. So the fact yep. that this is just one of his good movies um, and is so blockbuster and big and ambitious, like I, I like the people that say this shit sucks. Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, how, how do you watch like Washington, John David Washington Pattinson be debonair as fuck in the beginning and be like, nah, I don't like this. Like what? Right. Like, th- it's great. <laughs> And the action itself is good. This is some of his best action he's ever done. And it's like, I'm just confused that like knowing every single line of the plot suddenly matters to so many people, because that is not the case with lots of other blockbusters that people like. Right. It's, I I think about the uh, Chris Hemsworth movie that came out on Netflix earlier in the year. Extraction. Yes, Yes. Extraction. And how someone could like watch that. And that has awesome set pieces too. And awesome. Yeah. Well done action action moments. Mm -hmm. Um, and then watch something like Tenet and be like, ah, no, that that's a good movie. But Tenet is just too much, too <laughs> confusing. It's like I, I saw a fucking plane crash into the side of a building while a guy was fighting his own self in reverse. Like that was fucking awesome, dude. Like, <laughs> and yeah. the, the fact that like the moon by jump where they oh bungee jump God. twenty that stories, fucking so epic, so good, and just like the the way that. Um, John David Washington fights off those guys after talking to Elizabeth Debicki. You know, mm-hmm. I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago, and then just like <laughs> goes to town on those guys. Like, that's like a fucking action star making moment. Like that scene yeah. will be go on John David Washington's Hall of Fame. But you can walk away from this movie and be like, ah, oh, that sucked. Like, even if you don't totally get the inner mechanics of the Nolan world, and you can look at almost any Christopher Nolan movie that takes on like an original concept, like Inception. And you're like, ah, you know, you pick that apart, pick that apart. It doesn't really make sense. But if you just go in, you're just like, I just want to enjoy this movie. I feel like there's no way you can really walk away and be like, oh, I didn't like that. Right. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. And it's really funny to think back again, like, again, the meta nature of it all. Time being such a big presence with lots of Nolan's movies. And Tenet, I, I agree, is the most challenging of his movies in that regard, because the whole construction of how the plot actually progresses is so dependent on your grasping how time functions in Tenet. Right. And then you contrast that with stuff that is in retrospect, really simple, like Dunkirk. Oh, there's three timelines. One's a day, one's a week. And one is uh, an hour, whatever it was. I forget, you yeah, know, and if, but like and if it I was remember, super, super straightforward. Right. Right. And like, inception which literally is not confusing in the least because the time is is still normal it's just dream within a dream like right and like interstellar where interstellar it's all science based like the concept of a light year you know and like time progressing at different rates depending on where you are and gravity and stuff and yeah are there liberties with that science interstellar of course there is all the black hole shit's theoretical anyway right and of course the ending of interstellar has long been mocked and you yes. can you can separate that, but like I feel like it's and of course memento, right? Which is mm-hmm. basically it's just nonlinearity. That's all. Right. And it makes for a great twist. And then when you watch the movie again, you're 
see in a completely different light. Mm-hmm. All that shit, I really find really simple. And Tenet, yeah, Tenet, Tenet's tougher. I think part of that's because that the other the like plot of the story of Tenet is probably more convoluted than most of Nolan's stuff. So it, it's harder to keep on task with the time stuff. But still, it's still so thrilling and entertaining and looks like a million bucks that I don't know how people don't have a good time. Yeah, I, I don't know either. It's, you know, I, I think back to just like, even if you just like want to say, fuck the concept, like I'm just going to follow what's happening and not even try to really understand the time part of it. I still think you can kind of get the sense that like the first half, you're kind of rushing to try to stop them from getting this thing. And then once they get it, you just have to kind of go backwards and go through the whole thing. It's just a total flex by Nolan to be like, all right, I just Mm -hmm. showed you this movie this way. And I'm just going to do the whole thing backwards. And then we're going to have one big battle scene at the end. And it's like, yeah, sure. Like I can, I can dig it. I mean, like I said, if you really want to pick it apart, like there are moments when like Robert Pattinson's character doesn't have to wear uh, oxygen. Um, but other people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm like, wouldn't they have to do that if you went that direction or that turnstile? Turnstile. Right. But like, who cares? Like, it really yeah. doesn't matter. Um, I don't know. Uh, where would you put this on your Nolan rankings? Mm. Oh, shit. Yeah, I should have had this better prepared. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm I mean, a huge for... Inception person. That was my best movie of the decade. Uh, check that out youtube.com slash nostalgia pod year later that's still the case for me so i have inception one (sighs) and that's the thing i think that's what's so fun about nolan is he has a lot of uh worthy picks like i think like memento i feel like people have basically underrated at this point because it's been 20 plus years and once you watch it once it's not the same as watching it again i understand all that um, so I don't. I, I also don't have a mental like super high, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I I really like Interstellar because I'm a sci-fi person. Like I I, I don't give a fuck about the end and show the bookcase. <laughs> like everything else is such a fucking slap. Like the the, the Matt Damon heel turn in that is all oh, time. Talk about like un, unexpected cameos, you know. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, I think I think that doesn't mean it's like super thrilling in terms of like showing interstellar space travel, like. Yep. that and ad astra like there's really nothing close in terms of the actual travel stuff obviously there's great sci-fi stuff like 2001 and alien but like in terms of like the travel aspect and like the grandeur and then again with like, the existential threat uh that was coming yep. on earth like i think interstellar has become underrated um like dark knight everyone hypes dark knight for good reason don't have anything really to add there um mm-hmm. and i also really like dunkirk i don't know if dunkirk's the most fun to revisit but it's really impressive movie and should be at like the top of the top of the list as well, because of just, I think how well made it is and also really smart. Yeah. I, I think Tenet probably is like four or five for me. You know, I'm probably going to go inception, dark Knight, prestige. And then I don't know. Dunkirk is up there. It's just a really well done movie. Batman begins. I also really like, I think, Raz al Ghul is one of the best villains, you know, outside in the uh, Batman mm-hmm. comics that we've gotten. So, uh, yeah, it's probably like four or five for me. It's it's right around that t- that tier. And uh, I mean, you get like you said, you get Christopher Nolan doing a, a basically a James Bond movie, and it's just 
super charming and fun and you know watching it a second time so close together you really do pick up on so many more things especially the pattinson of it all like his character makes so much more sense watching it back again um and their interactions make a lot more sense and that i would love to see a follow-up to this where they they kind of go back from when he gets recruited back in time you know because he talks about how they get up to some stuff so right i'd love to see that relationship as it grows but and and that's a thing too like there's been critics of the movie that do the stupid shit where you say oh why didn't you do this instead and in that in this case it was wouldn't be that movie. why why wasn't it that movie about pattinson and stuff and it's like <laughs> like you could do this with every fucking movie like this mm-hmm. isn't valuable to the discourse in my opinion like totally it's like why didn't you do this i'm just because like, he didn't do this like i don't know like yeah judge what actually was done not just yeah. suggest a different plot like I mean, I I can definitely fall into that too, where I I wish things were done differently, or I would like to see certain people collaborate, or you know that sort of thing. But right. in the end, this is what we got, and that's all we can really mm-hmm. critique off of. So yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. I like doing that stuff too, but it's usually yeah. with stuff like the Rise of Skywalker, where what we right. got isn't worth defending. <laughs> <laughs> and this certainly is in my book. So, uh, Tenet, if you if you can rent it, I think the rent price went down this week. It did. So yep. this is a good time to check it out. Why don't we move on, though, to Midnight Sky. Let's stay in space. We're going to be Ooh. talking George Clooney's directorial debut. First no, time. No, no, no. Not, not his debut. Really? He's directed many movies, man. What are you talking about? Oh, I, see. I guess first direct uh, director movies directed in a long time right what's been the most few recent? years uh suburbicon 2017 oh uh, okay that, well and, and that that's kind of the rub with clooney as a director it's not the best run for him we have leatherheads the monuments men pretty bad film suburbicon was a miss thematically ides of march with gosling is like pulpy and fun and i remember liking at the time but i know it's kind of a polarizing movie as well I'm realizing I don't know if I've actually ever seen any of these. Good night and good luck. <laughs> yeah, so, good night. But, I mean, um, I've heard of some of these, but I, don't, I guess I wasn't aware he directed. It so is his first watched. acting role since he did two of them in 2016. Hail Caesar, Hail Caesar with yeah. Cohen's. Um, but like, if you think about the Clooney as an actor, like you have that moment, you have his side role in Gravity, which was good. You have to go back all the way to 2011 with The Descendants and 09 with Up in the Air, where you think of like notable Clooney acting performances. So The Midnight Sky being a movie coming out on Netflix, directed by Clooney, whatever, but like starring Clooney uh, was notable. And like this kind of just drops on December 23rd to like minimal fanfare. You know, it's like, man, this 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 is a big this is a big deal. And well, a mo- movie could have been better, but it's a big deal. <laughs> Well, I think that that's the thing I was going to ask is, do you feel like the movie w- uh, was good enough to really receive that praise? Because while I, I went into this, and I'm just going to preface by saying a lot of people mentioned to me that they did not like this movie prior to me seeing it. And um, mm-hmm. I kind of went in expecting it to be really bad. I didn't think it was really all that bad, but I do think right. it just kind of felt a little boring at times i think it felt uh like some of the character decisions i didn't totally get um and a little and i think the the twist was pretty i, I think i saw it coming but yeah. um i don't know how other people re- responded to that right. what did you think about the movie yeah i mean 
so I, I found it entertaining. Like there, there, there's some flaws, there's some, there's holes to poke, but I was most struck with uh, how the movie kind of shifts when you we were barely back in the Arctic with Clooney and this girl in this you know the substation, the travel and stuff. And like next thing you know, we're just in this spaceship with Lissity Jones and friends, and it's like oh, Kyle Chandler. It's like I, I thought this was like like a like a slow methodical character movie with Clooney I didn't know like there's this whole other side plot like it really just became the other a plot and like I think structurally wise maybe there was things that changed here um to me the weakest stuff was the flashbacks with young you see young Clooney and it's like I felt like that's didn't didn't do anything it was not necessary at all and like I think there was there was some really cool potential that was missed with the midnight sky because Again, because they get away from it by shifting priorities with the plots. But like early on, right? Clooney is like <clears throat> pulling himself a bowl of cereal, and he like looks behind himself, and there's already a bowl there. And like, oh, okay, he's losing his mind. He's, he's by himself here alone. Why he's waiting to die? Interesting. Okay. Next thing you know, oh no, there's a kid there with him. It was the kid the cereal. And then you realize at the end of the movie with the twist, oh, no, no, he really was losing his mind. Like, he did make the second bowl and stuff. And I was like, there was so much more meat on that bone. Yep. Kind of distracted with all this stuff in space. We didn't have time for it. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think, um, first of all, Ethan Peck, uh, which I'm pretty sure is Gregory Peck's, like, grandson, Ooh, uh, plays the young... Pedigree. Uh, yeah, plays the young George Clooney in this. And I just felt like all of those scenes were so like incredibly wooden. I get that the character was supposed to be just kind of like a very like reserved guy who was like singularly focused on these, uh, you know, trying to follow his professional pursuits and never really take time for his own life. And that's kind of what we get with these hallucinations that George Clooney is dealing with. And I think, well, I think that, there was definitely, I agree, a lot more to explore there. The movie almost kind of gets bogged down into, like you said, the, the stuff in space and then just like the journey to the other place. Like I, I would have liked to have seen Clooney, I think, a little bit more um, able to like chew on the things that were going around. I yeah. felt like we kind of got him like having to like save this thing or dive underwater and try to save his like dialysis pack. Or I think that was dialysis. Right? Something like, like that. Yeah. yeah. Never really explained. Um, and I think that stuff kind of gets caught up. Like one of the most effective moments to me was when um, he, they, they find that, that ship, right. Or that um, was it a spaceship or airplane that had crashed. And, you know, like, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was like a big jet. Yeah. And the pilots like there. And then, uh, I think like a storm comes through and Clooney thinks he loses the little girl and then he finds her and he's like, Oh, I thought I lost you. And like that moment, I was like, really like on the edge of my seat. Like, is he going to like find this little girl? Like what's going to happen? Then when he finds her, there's really like the sense of, I think this is one of Clooney's like strongest acting moments in the movie is he's just totally relieved and like mm -hmm. uh, a bit distraught and getting that i was like i want to see him like grappling with this more what this little girl actually means to him and you kind of i guess get that wrapped up at the end but it feels feels like it doesn't hit emotionally the way it should because i think we, we do get caught up in the person dying in space they're kind of doing like a martian-esque like space travel back yeah. and then i got totally caught up in kyle chandler and I forgot the other guys right uh those two characters deciding to go back 
to earth i was just mm-hmm. like come on like this is ridiculous well and that was the thing too all the stuff up in space like i think it's pretty fun looks good uh good, good talent but it's all pastiche it's all stuff we've seen before that like up in space stuff and like culminating to that set piece like oh wow really shocked to see the asteroids come back you know right really shocked to see one of them die as a result like we everyone saw that coming mm-hmm. um but like I, I think the ship also provided some like cool cinematography moments like the stuff with the ladder in the ship when they're like traveling through and like the center like looked pretty cool and i think there were some cool shots in the beginning of the arctic station and even like the score like the scores from alexander day plot like it's not like a nothing score either but i think we really just stick with that ship for a little too long, in my opinion, because I think that the potential of the Clooney character was just more interesting because there's nothing really new happening out in space. Um, notably, they had to rewrite this movie to make the Felicity Jones character pregnant because she was pregnant in real life. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely interesting. What did you think of Felicity Jones in this movie? I mean, it's really at the first time I can remember seeing her since Rogue One in a major role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all right. Um, it's just felt like she didn't get a lot to work with. You know, no, she's second build, and it's like, what's what's her part? Yeah, I mean, they're just kind of moving plot. Like all they're doing is dealing with the uh, what Clooney's communicating to them, right? And like, uh-huh. like the whole stuff with like, oh, we're gonna turn around, we're gonna restart the human race on that uh, Jupiter moon, you know, because I'm pregnant. We can keep it going. And it's like, um, again. That maybe that could have been cool again. Shades of Interstellar, but like, uh, it, it's really rushed through. Mm-hmm. So I still I still enjoyed watching it, but I think uh, scripts just okay. Unfortunately, uh, well, I I think for what people told me it was going to be like, and what ended up being, I was pleasantly surprised, but mm-hmm. still not a movie that I think will be on our top ten, which we'll be talking about next week for our top ten of the year twenty twenty. So. Uh, tune in for that. But why don't we talk about another movie, which I'm interested to hear if it'll be on your top 10, Dave, knowing how big of a DCEU fan you are. You know me. <laughs> uh, Wonder Woman 1984. The Patty Jenkins follow-up to uh, her original Wonder Woman, starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, coming back, baby, Pedro Pascal, Kristen Wiig, star-studded cast, uh, dropped on Christmas Day on HBO Max, which is notable because this will be something we're talking a lot about with Warner Brothers throughout the next year, as this is their uh, temporary, supposedly, plan. Um, and Dave, this movie totally disappointed me as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, it's funny because when we when we've been talking about these DC movies recently, uh, you know. I think we had felt like some of them are moving in the right direction, right? Shazam, I think we felt mm-hmm. like was a pleasant surprise at how good it, we felt like it was. Really fun. Good uh, yeah, tone. Aquaman, like, uh, besides yeah. some visual, uh, you know, ga- gaffes maybe, I don't even know, like, I guess cheapness. Uh, overall, pretty good. Yeah. Sidebar on Aquaman, it's still really perplexing that the <laughs> on-land scenes in Aquaman look a hundred times worse than the completely fictional CGI underwater stuff. Completely baffling still. <laughs> but Aquaman, really fun. If obnoxious really fun. and nonsense, it's it's great. It's fun. 
so you know and, and even venom right very flawed movie but you get to see tom hardy being just super weird you know like well, okay, i mean like, venom's marvel it's not dc don't, I guess don't give right. him that that's, that's uh, true, birds but... of prey would be the most recent yes, one birds of from prey. Thank you. right before yeah. this year uh pre pandemic started anyway you know what also a fun movie flawed but some fun moments um this movie i think had a couple of things that i really didn't like and the main one is I, I just found Pedro Pascal's bad guy to just be like totally not good at all. Like, and <laughs> fuck up. Yeah. And I'll go a little bit more into why I felt like that wasn't such a good uh, bad guy. But then all the stuff with Kristen Wiig was just totally like, I felt like there was a lot more there that could have been explored. Mm-hmm. And it just like goes from being like, uh, this is a friend to this yeah. person is now this crazy uh, what's her name like apex predator cheetah yeah cheetah the apex predator and uh yeah just that was totally flubbed and also like what what did we really allow gal gadot, gal gadot to do with this movie that could let her nothing. shine nothing and so like it just feels like everything was flubbed about it did you feel the same way yeah and, and that's the thing too is this movie wonder Woman 1984 has been really raked over the coals online since christmas and i think if this had been a normal year, this had come out in June, like expected, and it wasn't the only superhero movie of the year. We also had Birds of Prey and Black Widow and Eternals and even New Mutants. Like, it would have been disliked and still criticized, but it wouldn't have been to this degree. I think because right. this is right to our homes, anticipated because there was nothing really else, you know, besides Soul. Like, people kind of had the pitchforks ready as a result and like in a normal world it wouldn't have been to this degree but movie's still not really that good but it's just kind of interesting to see like the the, the, the vitriol for the product to be like really amplified yeah. given our current circumstances and funny enough it actually uh grossed in the u.s the most uh in opening weekend since march what 16.7 yeah. million actually beating tenants opening weekend and it had since had a really steep decline in its second weekend, which again shows you what the times we're in because normally the holiday calendar every weekday is like a weekend, you know, right. and it's anything but. So the movie's falling fast in the box office. It will not do tenant numbers domestically, but um, it's been doing decently internationally. But um, it, it was interesting to see that kind of vitriol. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a movie that there's just so many like cracks in the hole that you're just kind of confused to how it got to this point. And just something I was theorizing is we remember when wonder woman comes out in 2017, big hit kind of quite easily the most critically uh, well-liked consensus wise of the DC movies to that point. Uh, also the biggest opening weekend for a female director, solo female director, like a really notable movie for many reasons. And like, oh wow, well, they we're fast tracking a sequel. Patty Jenkins is back, Gal Gadot's already got her big contract, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if the fast tracking hurt this because mm-hmm. uh this movie, I believe this movie was filmed like nearly two years ago. Like it's it's been in the can because of the effects work, but like they kind of crapped this out fast and parts of it kind of feel like you could tell. And like I remember when they cast Kristen Wig, I was like, Kristen Wig that's strange to me mm-hmm. but i actually think she was really well cast for the beginning of the movie the best part right. of wonder woman 1984 she was really good at that stuff where like the character is kind of like like meek and like 
doesn't have the self-confidence, but you can understand why she be, befriends Diana. But yep. the turn to Cheetah was just so sloppy, sloppy and, and, and came out of nowhere, basically, right? So it's like you just see like these issues with the plotting of the film. And, you know, as you've said, you know, said earlier, when it comes to effects with DCU, it's very up and down. And I think this one, it's like, I mean, just, just action-wise, so it's not really like super notable action. I feel like that moment where she's flying up in the clouds and like riding the, the lightning, that definitely would have hit way better in the theater, no question. Totally. Yep. But like, I remember just watching like the the mall, the mall chase, like the only time we get like serious '80s vibes. Yep. Um, I'm like, huh, this is <laughs> this is kind of like, kind of whatever, right? For like for for Wonder Woman doing Wonder Woman stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm speaking of the 80s stuff, like it's billed as 84. We're going to go back in time, see some Diana doing shit in the 80s. Cool. It's barely 80s anything in this. That's really lame. You, you get like the one scene of uh, Chris Pine trying yeah. to on like men's 80s fashion and Which no needle drops, no 80s songs, yeah. just like blasting at any point. I mean, just yep. what a crime. Um, Everyone you know, has parachutes now. Hilarious. <laughs> I know, and that's the thing is like I think that first hour, even if like not a lot happens, pay, like plot wise, it's fun. Like you're you're kind of just enjoying being with those characters, and then once the plot really starts picking up and Maxwell Lord starts taking all the wishes and stuff, that's when it just mm. starts to become too much. And um, you know, g- going to pedro pascal's character right as like the wishing stone how he becomes the wishing stone and like i get that the movie's trying to like talk about gratitude and like being thankful for what you have or the time that you get with someone and like not be you know not wasting your life wishing that you had more of of something and you know if you want to talk about like the curse of more bill simmons has written about it for the last like 20 years go read his articles about it but (laughs) you know I really feel like there's a lot more interesting stuff to be explored with the juxtaposition of Diana and Barbara, you know, and like how Barbara is gaining these powers and the confidence it's giving her and Diana losing the powers and what that's taking away from her and like how it kind of ruined how that power, the loss of it kind of changes those people. And I think if they had been maybe focused more on Kristen Wiig's character a bit more, perhaps the movie would have been a bit stronger because I think when it's just Pedro Pascal taking on more wishes, looking grosser, becoming more hammy, that's when it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm really losing this. And, and the more you think about like the wishing stuff, you want to go back to like picking apart movie concepts like Tenet. Um, it, why didn't someone just wish for all this to stop? Like, wouldn't that have yeah. things? Like, I don't know. There's like a lot of, is everybody wishing for bad stuff? I don't Right. And that, that was actually a criticism that was starting to get lobbed around too, is this is taking place in the DCU continuity in 1984, where Superman is a, only a baby, but Batman's like 15. Did Batman wish for his parents to come back? And like, not a criticism because Batman's not in the movie. Like, you right. can't really make that matter. point. But like, they actually like barely touch on the fact that all the wishes get renounced at the end from right. like Diana's speechifying and it's like and like I, I don't even mind that stuff really at all to me it's like the whole like cold war uh nuclear arms race stuff we got to that real quick and like we're also jumping in like with geopolitical stuff in the middle east with oil and stuff and I'm like ah this is all kind of quick and and, and yeah. not that well thought out 
like that that action set piece in the desert on the road it's was kind of mediocre um and that's the thing like i if wonder woman was more had more to do i i think a lot of these other sins are easier to forgive but like Diana doesn't even have that many lines and like a lot of her lines kind of stink. It's like, you need to give me the stone. And it's like, come on, man. Like, and then actually there's a really great negative review about on the movie from Angelica Jade Bastine on Vulture. And she gets into like, as a big Wonder Woman fan, uh, a big part of the character is, is her femininity and her relationship with women. And that's kind of where the movie fails the most because as you said that stuff with barbara just did not crystallize the way it should have Mm -hmm. and you're kind of failing wonder woman by taking away this big part of what makes her who she is you know and like i like the themiscura flashback of the beginning just cool to see it's pretty but like thematically i don't think it actually amounted to much because they do a whole nother opening to the movie right after it anyway so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it. It just has a lot of strange, strange faults that kind of feel like dated mistakes when it comes to big IP at this point. Yeah, and you know, if you if you want to just go in and like like you said, I think if this hadn't been released the way it was, it probably would have just been like there were some cool scenes, bad mm-hmm. villains, and, like Venom. Uh, yeah, Venom definitely. has a lot of these same kind of problems, but like there's also stuff that you can kind of latch on to, like the ridiculousness of the venom character and tom hardy being weird and shit you know right and like i i really thought that like uh that fight scene in the white house was pretty pretty cool and pretty well done very like aesthetically pleasing one of the stronger moments i felt throughout the movie um but when it is under the microscope the way it is you know and especially when there's a lot of different takes on if people are happy or not that movies with this size budget are being released straight to your television um i think it's going to be under scrutiny a bit more so it feels uh feels probably more disappointing than it would have now i wanted to just kind of throw out there real quick right so uh what's like the next step for this like i mean there i assume there's probably going to be another wonder woman i think that's actually already been announced right so and that was that was another talking point was they quickly uh, announced deadline had it that uh dc films is fast tracking wonder woman 3 with both patty jenkins and gal gadot set to return as i said before fast tracking might not be the best thing when it comes to plotting these kinds of movies um, and also, a lot of people are actually saying, like, this actually means literally nothing. They're just saying this to say this and also to, like, make their HBO Max decision look good. Don't read anything into it. But either way, that's the official word that Wonder Woman 3 is on the way ASAP. We're, we're getting you know, a lot of stories right now about how there's going to be the multiverse with DCU now. You yeah. know, that we're going to be getting multiple Batmans. Flashpoint inducing yeah. it. Exactly. Do you think this might be a another hero that would benefit from having like a multiverse, like another Wonder Woman or Wonder Woman going to different places or different timelines? Huh. And that's the thing, because going into 1984, you're like, okay, that's like the one like concrete pillar DCEU has is Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. You have great casting. Gal Gadot, I think, is 
not like the best actor ever, but she's good as Strong Wonder Woman Wonder and definitely Woman. looks the part and, and has like the action chops for it. And Patty Jenkins seems to be a talented Helmer and she seems to be invested in this franchise. So how, so, so we don't have to worry about that. Let's get Batman Superman figured out and like get that stuff back going and whatnot. And let's get the flash movie actually made. Right. But like now I, I, it still would not be my priority. I think they'll just make Wonder Woman three and it's in all likelihood will be better than this one and we'll be on our way. And then depending on like Gal Gadot's contract, which I don't know if we actually know how many options she has on it. Like there could be more. Um, You look at the DC, like Walter Hamada profile in New York times let out like the plan of DC is trying to ramp up with, films and smaller scale films on hbo max so it feels like they're beginning to really kick this into high gear because remember there's been a big leadership change in terms of running these movies so i i I don't know how rash they would be to like make any huge changes to the character because it seems like patty jenkins and gal are both pretty invested in direction of this this where, where wonder woman goes so yeah i mean i don't know but like then again given her age yeah, you could just make a movie during any time you want, I guess. Yeah. Because it's fine. And in this case, yeah, like a lot of cladicasmic shit happened. I guess they all forget about it with the lasso of truth and it doesn't matter. And then, you know, she shows up in Batman vs. Superman knowing who knows who she is. I guess that's what we're supposed to believe. But like, there's still so much room to do anything you want. It's the DCEU. It, it's barely yeah. started. Yeah. Yeah. It's in. It's just feels like such a step backwards for this particular franchise within the dcu it's like uh, i hope the next movie is a little bit better and i i just hope that um if they're gonna do something like a a gimmick like 1984 or a time period or a year like actually lean into it because i think if this had been something where it was like very obviously you're going for like stranger things vibes like that's kind of what the mall scene felt like a little bit in the beginning it's like okay, go for that vibe, like really yeah. go for it. But I just felt mm-hmm. in so many ways, like they hedged in every direction and came up with a very mediocre movie. So right. eh, disappointing. Last thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. Well, I think there's one important note as well, which is that the introduction of Chris Pine, which I'm all for, because I love Chris Pine. He's the best Hollywood Chris. But False. in, 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 process of this chris pine occupies this random character's body and him and diana just fuck a lot and like the whole aspect of like primordial consent comes up and like that's just not something you need to introduce into your ip movie is shit that's like the more you think about the grosser it is you know like again love chris pine you want to bring him back, say he, he comes back somehow. I don't give a shit, do it. It's superhero movies. I don't care what happens. But like th- that we're doing it that way was not not smart in my opinion. Yeah, it was it was a strange choice for sure. Um also Chris Pine very much I think in the second half of this movie it just has nothing to do until he goes yeah, away. Nothing. So it's just a waste in my opinion. So all right, why don't we finish up though with the other movie that you alluded to was dropped on Christmas Day on Disney Plus. We're starting to get more of that Disney Plus content, WandaVision, in two more weeks, Dave. Soul. Disney's Soul. Disney Pixar Soul, I should say. Pete Docter, 
mm. known for being the uh, manipulator of all of our emotions growing up, um, you know, or at least being a part of them, uh, you know, at the helm of this one. And Soul, I don't know, I, I guess I'll let you kind of take the lead with this because I've, I've been interested to hear. Did you like Soul? I did like Soul. did like Soul. Um, you know, going in, I knew it was the next one, next Pixar film from Pete Doctor, as you said, who has since been elevated to the CCO of Pixar. He's effectively the main creative voice at Pixar now with since John Lasseter's uh, disgrace exit. And you look at that CV, he's been involved with many of them, but he's directly created Monsters, Inc. up inside out and now Soul. And it's like, wow, it's quite the run. And yeah. Seeing that it's like his his specific follow up to Inside Out and thematically has a lot to do with Inside Out was notable and knowing that going in, uh, I think was interesting. And I can't help but think about Inside Out a lot when I watch Soul because of how they do things differently. Um, and yeah, I did like it. I I think uh, Soul is intentionally more vague than Inside Out, but both of the movies you know, like presenting these like abstract ideas in like a tangible physical way. Like you, you see, again, like you see the inside of someone's brain and all their emotions, or you see literally the manifestation of someone's soul. Like you see these things physically presented. I do feel like it, 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 it kind of tells you what to think a lot. Like, mm-hmm. like I like inside out a lot. I don't like it as much as everyone else. Cause I think it's kind of like, like it's writing everything on the chalkboard of how you're supposed to watch it because you literally know what the emotion is, like who they are. Like it's really, I feel like it's kind of simple, but it's still like really impressive at the same time. And for me, because Soul's like more vague, I guess I appreciate it more. Like I was thinking, like when you watch the montage at the end for the character, you're watching. I'm like, I'm like, oh wow, okay, oh well, this is this is kind of deep. I don't really know how I should take this one. Whereas for Inside Out, I feel like it was very specific of how you were supposed to feel, like what you were supposed to think at the end. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I, I do think there's parts of Inside Out that are a little bit more nuanced than, you know, just like this is sad or this is um, angry. And you kind of see that at the end with like the core memories being mixed with sadness and joy and mm-hmm. um, all the different feelings. But uh, yeah, I, I do think this is a one of those headier Pixar movies and I, I was kind of left as, as I finished it just kind of wondering how this would really connect with children and I've, I've seen mixed uh, right. comments online where you know some kids I think really enjoy it and certainly when they're in the uh, I guess it's the afterlife or the pre-life or whatever it is uh, the great, great beyond, before great before um, you know they're they're these cute little you can see them around Dave's screen cute little like I don't know uh, globby looking things uh, ghosts maybe and then once they are uh, but then once they're on earth they're just they look so realistic as humans I guess one is a cat for a lot of the movie so I guess there's right. like certain parts that maybe kids will I mesh jinx. with more but um, this is really a Pixar movie for adults like this uh, feels very much like this was made for that generation that grew up with these movies and I think while something like Inside Out you mentioned um, is a movie that can, I think it hits more for adults uh, on, on a lot more levels, but for kids, you know, you watch and you can explain the movie to them. And, yeah. you know, there's just way more humor in Inside Out. Right. And this is a lot more an introspective and thoughtful movie. And 
definitely interested to see how kids connect, but I definitely connect a lot with it. And it really made me reflect a lot on kind of what it is that, you know, we, we all get caught up on it and what we're missing, you know, just in our Mm -hmm. day-to-day lives and that, that rat race we're on to succeed or move forward. We're kind of missing those little things that do make life colorful and fun and definitely, um, uh, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't end up crying at this movie, which I, I was kind of surprised. That I kind of expected to mm. have that one big weeping moment. I don't know if you kind of got teary eyed or not, but I didn't feel like it hit that hard emotionally, but just more thoughtful. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing because like the conclusion that like the beginning of the movie, like or the middle of the movie, like you're thinking, oh, I gotta find my spark. What's my spark so I know what I'm supposed to do and I can then go and finally accept going to earth right and starting a life and like mm-hmm. then the movie gets to the point where like oh th- there is no spark like in like it's like like your purpose is just to want to live like it is like way more simple and still abstract and i'm like huh interesting mm-hmm. whereas if like inside out it's like oh it's okay to be sad sometimes like oh okay yeah i got that okay gotcha and i feel like a lot of people that's a great thing to have here in mainstream entertainment that see how they've struggled with something like that see that expressed where it's really like a soul i don't know if like soul is super serving to anyone besides just like whimsical adults you know right. and like as you said for the kids stuff like the hijinks of like an adult being in a cat's body and how that unfolds like some body humor apart from that like and like the souls bouncing around when you're in the great before like, I, I really wonder, like, well, what the kids like about it, because obviously, thematically, they really have no clue what's going on. Um, but at the same time, I think this is some of the best, like, 3D CGI we've got from Pixar in a while, specifically the stuff in New York. Like, yeah. New York felt really fully realized in a great way, like some subtle New York stuff, just like kind of like being in like Lord Manhattan and like a, a really funny Nick's joke, like, like the New York, the pizza pizza rat cameo like uh, the new york stuff was good so yeah the the subway uh was mm-hmm. like breathtaking like uh, how they kind of got that so perfect the look and feel of it um i loved how they kind of put it in sepia tone it was like an like a late autumn type feel sure. to it a lot of uh, a lot of the time um i thought that was really cool and uh, i think the interesting thing i mean i know you had um what's his name uh the guy who is like the the bad guy, I can never pronounce how Terry? to say Terry, but the actor uh, Richard Ayode. Ayode, yes, yeah, comedian. Um, he, you know, he's a <laughs> he's not really that bad of a guy. Like, there's no real antagonist yeah. besides like the fact that Jamie Foxx's Joe dies, you know, and he needs to yeah. affect his body. That, that, think... That's the conflict is death, right? And that's that's a really heady thing to be working with and um i i definitely found certain moments a little bit more engaging than others one portion i found particularly engaging was graham norton as moonwind and the Mm -hmm. whole his whole thing is like the spiritual uh guide or pirate or whatever he is i forgot exactly but i found that to be very interesting uh graham norton also just a amazing voice actor i don't know if you've ever like watched his interviews but he's really yeah, he's awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah great talk show host and just shows out in this um i also really liked the scene where 
you know, they've kind of switched bodies at this point and Joe's student comes and Tina Fey's in his body and kind of, he coaches her how to like, mm-hmm. you know, go through the, and play the part. And that kind of awakens uh, 22 a bit to like, yeah. Oh, this is like a very cool thing about life. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Kemp powers who co-directs this movie and also, uh, wrote the film we'll be talking about him soon because he also wrote one night in miami and you know soul ken powers the first african-american to co-direct a pixar movie soul the first african-american to be a protagonist in a pixar movie that in itself is notable but also you think about the best i think it's some like some of the best scenes are like aspects of black culture, like the like like the, the camaraderie at the barbershop. Yeah. Or even like his relationship with his mom and her coworkers. Like mm-hmm. that's a scene that the, the 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 mom scene, you know, when he gets the suit and it's like that's like a really deep scene, like a really like sad scene, I think, for adults. Also like moves the plot along. Um yeah. and like yeah. it's it's funny, like again, like thinking about soul, like I feel like what people do lots in meta nature the meta nature of Pixar is thinking about like, oh it's a movie for really adults that also entertains the kids. And like in the case of soul, we're, we're walking back from death. Like the death happens really early on. I think almost like, like in your face, how quick it is. Whereas uh, stuff like, like Coco, it's like, we're getting to the death at the end. Right. So yeah. like, and this was a new, a new tact for Pixar and for Pete doctor to like attempt to do this in a different way. Um, and also like the presence of jazz throughout the movie mm-hmm. and like like good stuff and even like the, the the like the you know you have Angela Bassett as like the saxophone player just completely overqualified for this like small role but like yeah heck like it, it, I feel like everyone can sympathize with that play it's like oh like you had these like creative dreams you didn't quite ever have a chance to get to that point and again like it's followed up with the barbershop scene where he's talking to the barber who had wanted to be a veterinarian, but he doesn't mean he's sad about where he's at. He's quite, quite the opposite. Right. And it's like, again, like it's, it's kind of telling you exactly how to feel along the way, but it's still like, I think a really warm, effective feeling. So, but I, again, I was most impressed with the end montage where like you're watching that like realization of, of like yeah. the life's journey and all that stuff. And then like, cause you can apply this to yourself in terms of like, purpose and your spark and what whether you need a spark or not right it's like because it's more ambiguous at the end i think that's why i like it the most yeah no i i think it's definitely a a very well done movie um even if it didn't necessarily reach my very lofty expectations for it i don't consider this a disappointment at all i think this is definitely one of the best movies of the year um shout out to your guy trent reznor and atticus ross (laughs) who I think turned in a really great score. Kings of scores at this point. For real. They, uh, well, and also we didn't talk about it with Tenant, but um, the, he, it's the same guy that did the Mandalorian. Um, Ludwig. Uh, um, Ludwig Gorenson. Yeah. Gorenson. And he's been killing it as well. They're probably the top two in the game right now. Those, those composers. Yep, so, definitely. Um, yeah. I think overall, just an achievement from Pixar. They just continue to be the most consistent uh, studio yep. for sure. Yeah, It, it seems pretty likely that it'll be nominated for best picture it's at least on the bubble right there uh pour one out for wolf walkers which is just gonna get its clock cleaned for best animated feature um 
I know there's some some fans that really would would want Wolfwalkers get the win, but I just don't think it's happening when you have an animated movie like Soul that is operating on like a higher level by just thematically just being interested in more adult stuff. Like when you yeah. do that in animation, you're just gonna attract more admirers. That's not Wolfwalkers' fault, but that's just what happens when you get a good Pixar movie in your in your way. Uh, Dave, this is a this is a good way to end this show. We don't really have much for next week except for our top tens. Should we talk about for movies? Anything else? Also, Pieces of a Woman comes out on Netflix, a notable film starring Vanessa Kirby, whose performance has been uh, widely lauded thus far and will likely be nominated. So hit that movie and then talk about all the other movies from 2020. Uh, exciting. And we'll... Uh... We'll be making a 2021 Nostalgia Best of Music playlist on Spotify, so follow that. Although I don't think any of these Cardi songs are going to make it, so we'll, uh, we'll wait something better to start the, the playlist off with. <laughs> uh, but go follow our 2020 Best of Music list, because it's really good. Um, Dave, I'll catch you next week, as, long, as well as the other people and the listeners. Peace out. Yeah.